Thank you for listening to the Shanghai Community Fellowship Podcast. To find out more about the SCF community, listen to sermons, and upcoming events, visit us at shanghaifellowship.org. Welcome, everybody. And today is the second Sunday in the Lent season and our sermon series, The Spring of Our Renewal. Of course, Lent is a time of preparation uh, to prepare ourselves by adding to and taking away as we anticipate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful time uh, for us to think ahead to Jesus, not that we're thinking about him each and every day. So uh, today we're gonna be looking, uh, out of the series, The Spring of Our Renewal, we're gonna be looking at the spring of God's promise. And we look into the heart of God. We, we realize that what God is doing is that he is making promises to us. He is moving toward us and he's committing himself to us. In fact, Jesus himself is the fulfillment of a promise. And the resurrection of Jesus is the fulfillment of a promise that the Father made to Jesus. So we're gonna take a look, a closer look at that promise and a key element uh, in our relating not only to, to, to God, but to his promise, to relating to the God of the promise. And that key element is trust. And we're gonna talk more about trust, especially as we relate to God, our Father and Lord and Savior Jesus. Um, that key element of trust. We're going to be looking at that more closely. We're going to look at trust in the life of Abraham. We're then going to take a look at trust uh, in the life of Nicodemus, John chapter 3, a character, a Pharisee that Jesus encounters there in the Gospel of John. And then, of course, we're going to finish by taking a look at trust in our lives. Trust as, as it relates to us and the way we relate to Father God. Let's begin with uh, taking a look at Abraham. Now, Abraham, uh, if you don't know, was a man uh, known as a, one of the patriarchs. He is the founder of uh, Judaism. He's the founder of uh, Christianity. And he's considered to be a founder, of, uh, or at least a patriarch, at least, of Islam. So uh, the man, Abraham, has a significant influence in the major religions of the world, right? So he's a very significant person. And, and you, you get his story, we get a lot of his story, of course, in the book of Genesis. And I want to begin with Genesis chapter 12, read a few verses there, and then we'll take a look at Romans uh, chapter 4 and see Paul's comment on the person of Abraham. So let's just, let's just take this one segment from Abraham's life. Genesis chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abraham, or Abram, which, which is the name he was called before his name was changed to Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. <clears throat> I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord told him, and the Lord and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Great promise that God makes to Abraham, makes to Abraham, having sent Abraham to a land that he would show him. Now, centuries later, Paul would comment on Abraham and on his life when he wrote these words in Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? 
Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as accredited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Now, uh, Paul's just simply noting that, that Abraham comes into right standing with God, not because, not because he left his home, necessarily, because of the work that he did, um, and he went on a journey, uh, but because he trusted God, that, that Abraham's right standing with God began with trust. It begins with trust or faith. There's another way to say that. It begins with faith. It begins with trust. And out of that trust, Abraham moves. Okay, and you're going to even now begin to see a bit of a pattern of the way that God relates to us. It's out of our trust in him. It's out of our faith in him that we will move, that we move on, we, we move forward, that we take action. And so this is the life of Abraham. What, what God is doing in Abraham's life is he is crafting a way of relating to what will eventually be all of humanity, including you and me. He's crafting a new way of relating to us um, that, that, especially for Abraham, or Abram, or Abraham, I'm just going to call him Abraham, um, a new way that, especially for Abraham, would have been unlike anything he had ever seen before. You know, God is revealing himself to this man, and he is saying to him, what, I, what he's speaking to him, and, and he's calling him to himself, and what he's looking for from Abraham is this response of trust. Now, this is a new thing, maybe for Abraham, but it's not new for God. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. For Adam and Eve, very first chapter of the Bible, um, what God has asked of them is to trust him. Trust him as the source of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And, and here God again uh, coming back to something that's going to be absolutely key, this key word, because it describes a relationship, the foundation of a relationship with Father God, and that word is trust. You see it in the life of Abraham. Opportunities are going to come to Abraham, um, and many opportunities are going to come to you and I, and, and baked within those opportunities with God, to, to go deeper with God, to know God, and be known by Him, is going to be this root element called trust. And those opportunities that will come to us, those callings that will come to us, will for us be themselves a gift from God. This isn't work, Paul said. It's not an opportunity to work for God. It's not like God doesn't have enough help. You know, he's looking for some slaves to, to you know, give something to do. But each opportunity to come with God and go with him and partner with him is actually a gift, his gift to us. And, and, and it's our trust. As you read through the Bible, what you see that it is our trust in him that is so appealing like the trust of a small child, right, with their parent. They just absolutely put their trust in their parent, absolutely put their trust that they're going to be okay, that, that the, the, they'll be able to go to bed safe, safely at night. Um, that, that, that trust between us and our Father in heaven is so appealing to the heart of God. It just it pulls on his heart, and it, becomes, and it becomes necessary to partner with him. Uh, and, 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 and if you're thinking, well, why is that so important? It's, it's certainly not because he's petty, right? It's, it's, 
God's not asking our trust. He's not asking us to trust him because he's petty uh, in order to relate to him. It's because our trust is the key that unlocks the door to knowing him as we are known by him. And it becomes the key to knowing ourselves. God knows that my trust in him is the key to not only knowing God, but knowing him as I am known and knowing myself. I mean, our Father in heaven loves us that much to show us what, what the key is, and that key is trust. Abraham was a man who was sovereignly chosen by God and asked of God, or asked by God, to trust him. For God to, to come to Abraham was the invitation for Abraham to know him. God saying, hey, I want you to know me, I, and I want you to be known by me. And then I want you to partner with me to become a great nation so that we can do this very same thing with all the nations of the world. God says, this is how I'm going to be at work in your life and in your world, but you're going to have to trust me. It's all going to be built, Abraham, on your trust in me. Just like everything we know about God and this life that we have in him is all built on our trust in him. Now, um, uh, God begins this journey of trust with Abraham by sending him on a journey. You know, like, like a lot of times uh, for you and I, uh, our trust began with Father God when we were sent on a journey. He begins that by sending him on a journey, a journey whose destination is unknown. So it's, it's, you, you read it. He basically says to Abraham, I'm going to send you out. I'm, I am sending you. And it's me that's doing it, but I'm not showing you uh, where you're going. And when you get there, I will reveal it to you. You'll know it. Um, and, and Abraham receives this word from God, this promise from God, and believes into it because he trusts the one who gave the promise. Abraham is going to make a decisive break in his life to pursue the truth. He's going to make a decisive break with his past in order to pursue the truth. You and I will often be called to continually make decisive breaks so that we can be open to and to pursue God's truth. God is loosening Abraham. I want you to see that what God is doing as he's calling him out of the land of Ur, his home country, and, and then eventually out of Haran, which is a place where he'll, he'll, he will settle soon after he leaves Ur. God continues to do this with Abraham as he does it with you and I. He continues to call on us to, to make these kinds of breaks and separate ourselves from our past and from our cultural influences so that we can follow him. For Nicodemus, it will be signs, but it will be these kinds of breaks with the past that are holding us back. When culture holds us back, when our past is holding us back, God is calling us to make a break from these things so that we might follow him. I like what Joyce Baldwin says here. He says, I mean, it's so, so decisive. He says, without separation, there is no further revelation. Did you hear that? Without separation, there is no further revelation with God. It's a decisive move and, and one that's going to cost it a, come, at a, come at a very high cost, as these kinds of moves often do. They're decisive, but they're also costly. 
The promise of God is great, and so is the commitment to follow that promise and trust in the God who gave that promise. It's a big commitment. No, I mean, we shouldn't soft coat it. Uh, we shouldn't pull back. It is a big commitment to trust God like this with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind, and our strength. So often, and you, many of you listening today, you know what I'm talking about. So often, it's trust like this that feels like getting all in. I mean, everything, you know, Texas Hold'em, all the chips go across the table. Maybe that wasn't the best illustration. Or stepping out of the boat, you know, to walk on the water. You know, those times where you put everything in, you didn't hold anything back. This is the kind of trust that we're talking about. It's hard to follow Jesus and to trust him with your whole life. But it's trust like this. It's trust like this. Hear this that unites us with God's power and the powerful spirit that is the spirit of God. So many of us often, you know, how do I, how do I, how do I, how do I move in the power of the spirit? So often the issue is trust, trusting God with something. You may even know what it is right now that you need to trust him with. Trusting God fully uh, unites and ignites the uh, powerful, powerful spirit of God who will often overwhelm us and yet transform us and convert us. That's what's happening through this tiny word called trust. It's, it's, uh, before we get too overwhelmed, remember, it'll always be a trust that's going to be aided by God. Isn't it great that God would not only ask us to trust him, but he would also then send aid to assist us. He sends his Holy Spirit to help us to trust him. He's given us his grace. He, in fact, he pours out his grace on us so that we can trust him, so that we can overcome our spiritual handicaps and the years that we spent in darkness. How do we come out of the darkness and trust God with all of our hearts if we don't have the grace of God? And he helps us to do this. Our response to trust him is going to rest on this grace. And trusting God first is what will lead us into the promise. Trusting God first is what will lead us into the promise. This is Abraham's stories of trust. Now how about Nicodemus's story of trust? This is a little longer. It comes from John chapter three, but here we read of Jesus's encounter with the Pharisee named Nicodemus. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus responds, How can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered and responded to Nicodemus, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again or born from above. Uh, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, 
but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then shall you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses, that's Jesus, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, Jesus, must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now here comes a very familiar verse to many of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. And there's a link between Jesus and Abraham, that God honors the trust of Abraham, brings Abraham into a promise, the promise of God, and now in Jesus that promise is being fulfilled. You know, you know, for someone like Nicodemus, when he would have heard Jesus talk about the kingdom of God, unless you, uh, unless you be born again, or another way to would say that would be born from above, uh, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, as soon as Nicodemus would have heard kingdom of God, you know, he had expectations with that. There, there would, have, you know, comes an image would have come to his mind right away. For for Nicodemus, it meant that it meant Jewish people like Nicodemus and Jesus, for that matter being restored as a nation. When he would have heard Jesus talk about the kingdom of God, he would have thought not only of his own people restored as a nation, but their government, uh, a king uh, at the seat of that uh, government, and, uh, and, the capital, and a capital city, Jerusalem, all having influence over the nations of the world. In fact, Nicodemus would have just assumed, hearing the words kingdom of God, that that now that the kingdom of God has come, all roads everywhere, no matter where they start, will all lead to the capital city, God's city, the city of Jerusalem. So again, putting ourselves in Nicodemus's shoes for a minute, uh, it would have been confusing at best and offensive at worst to hear Jesus say, who Nicodemus has just given a pretty significant compliment to, to hear him say that in order to enter into this kingdom, Nicodemus, uh, a Jewish teacher of the people of God, you're going to need to be born again or born from above. In other words, uh, it, it would have been almost impossible for Nicodemus to imagine how he would have had to do anything to qualify to enter into the kingdom. I'm already qualified. I mean, I'm, I'm a Pharisee. I'm I'm Jewish, the kingdom of God is for Jewish people and all the rest of the peoples of the world who are gonna come and serve us. And I'm Jewish, I'm not only Jewish, I'm a leader of the Jewish people. Uh, why, do I not, why, why do I need to do anything to enter into the kingdom of God? I'm already a member of, of this family. But the presence of the kingdom of God is the presence of Jesus on earth, fulfilling the promise that Abraham believed and trusted in. Nicodemus is having a hard time seeing this. He doesn't get it. I mean, it all sounds familiar to him. You know, it's like, I, I recognize the words, the terms, but Jesus, you're, you're saying something new and different using familiar terms, terms that I would be familiar with. For, for Nicodemus, he has a very contractual 
view of the kingdom of God and of God himself. Jesus is talking about a relational response, a relational view of God and his kingdom, one that is built on trust like any other good relationship. And this is something that Nicodemus is having a hard time with. Can Nicodemus trust that God is at work in Jesus? Can he do that? That's going to be his big question. Can Nicodemus trust that God is present in Jesus, keeping his promise? Can, can Nicodemus trust God that that's actually what's happening here? He's already seen some miracles, and, and, and he's, he's, he's peaked, he's interested, and he's still wondering. Trusting in the God of the promise is going to demand a radical response from Nicodemus, like like Abraham, who had to leave his home and take a long journey without knowing where he was going, Nicodemus would, would, would need a radical response to the call of God to trust God, like as radical as being born again, as radical as new birth. Whoa, wait a minute. That, that's, what, that's what it's going to cost me to get into the kingdom? I'm going to have to be born again? I mean, and, and it was something that he just was having a hard time, as you will see in a moment, getting his head wrapped around this. You know, Nicodemus finds himself as a man living between two worlds and two covenants. He's, he's, he's there at the moment that the old covenant is giving way to the new covenant. And, and the wind is blowing. But can Nicodemus trust that God is in the wind? that is blowing there. Nicodemus has come to Jesus out of the darkness, but is willing to step into the light to ask questions. But Nicodemus wants to ask questions about signs and wonders and how God, how God uh, authenticates himself, how God proves himself, if you will, uh, in signs and wonders. But Jesus isn't going to let Nicodemus stay there. Jesus isn't going to allow Nicodemus to kind of define the, define the conversation or the topic. Jesus is taking Nicodemus and moving him forward in a different direction. Will Nicodemus be able to trust Jesus to allow Jesus to lead him and this conversation in a new direction? Will Nicodemus follow Jesus? Will he trust Jesus to be able to follow him? Now, now you, you see kind of going on in the story, some of you may be familiar with already, you might want to read it again uh, later, but, but trust like this, especially when we're talking about trusting God, almost always has the potential for misunderstanding, right? I mean, I mean we're, we're there, you've been there, uh, you thought you were trusting God, you thought God said this, you thought this was what trusting God would, would, would look like, and you kind of stepped out there and you thought, oh, I might have misunderstood something here. What, uh, that's what's happening for Nicodemus. I mean, he hears Jesus saying, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus actually thinks that Jesus is talking about being literally born again. You know, like you know, somehow, some weird kind of way, awkward way, you're going to have to go all the way back to infancy and have this rebirth, reincarnation, whatever kind of thing. And, and, and that's not what Jesus is talking about at all, of course. Um, he's talking about something, uh, a change of our nature, a, a radical change, but not literally, not literally being born again. You know, I mean, my, my, my poor mom, you know, she, she had five children and, and imagine my, my brother's like 6'2 or 6'3. 
probably 180, 190 pounds. You know, that's terrible. That's terrible. No, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a radical change, but not that kind of radical, the kind of change that changes our very nature. This is what it means always to trust God, bringing us to this decisive break, not only with the past, but the separation and this radical response in our trust, in our trust. Jesus is speaking, God is speaking. And you know, I can tell you something right here. You know, so often when God is speaking to us, we, get, we, we become confused over what is similar to what is new. We hear something from God, we hear his word to us, and it sounds similar to us. We go, oh, I know what this is. Yeah, I got on there. Yeah, I know. I know exactly. This is it. I know. But what we don't know, because it's similar. Don't confuse what is similar to what is new. Take the time to listen and lean into what God is saying. As he's defining for you, this is what trust looks like for you in this situation. This is something new. This is something new. Nicodemus's third and final question was this, how can this be? How, how can this be? He says, you know, how is this possible? He is a man looking at a new country. He has landed in Pudong International Airport and he is looking out of those big windows at the big and beautiful Shanghai and across the miles or kilometers, the entire nation of China and saying, how can this be? How can God be at work in this place? What will I do in this place? What is God wanting to do? And what is God wanting to do with me in this new place, in this new country? How will such momentous events unfold for me and for God's kingdom? Now, we looked at Abraham's trust. We've looked at Nicodemus's trust. Will he follow Jesus? Um, now let's take a look at our trust, you and I. When our story, when our personal story has taken a turn toward trust in God, when our personal story has taken a turn toward trust in God, now we know that God is asking us to trust Him. And this will happen many, many, many times in the course of our lives. For those of you who are watching and listening and you've been following God, following Jesus for a long time, you've been asked to trust him many times. And this will not be the last time. There'll be more. When our story turns toward trust in God, we are often asking these three questions. The same three questions that Nicodemus asked. Number one, is this from God? Is this from God? Is this, is this God speaking to me? Is it is this, is it, God, are you sure you're saying this? Uh, you know, can, can you show me a sign or something? Is, is this really from God? Rabbi Nicodemus said, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with them. Baked into that is, is a question. We've seen a lot of signs. I've seen you do some signs and wonders, but I still wonder myself. Is this from God? The second question we ask is, what do you mean? What, 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 do the, what do you mean by this? What, what do these things actually mean? How should I read this? What would be the correct interpretation? What are you saying to me? How can someone be born again when they are old? What do you mean a person must be born from above to enter in the kingdom? For, for questions of meaning, God has helped us. 
for questions of what do you mean God has helped us. He's given us his word, the Bible. He has given us um, his spirit. He's given us signs and wonders. He's, like I said, he's given us the Holy Spirit. And, and, Jesus has, and, and, and Jesus has positioned himself where he can be the one who opens heaven for you and me so that we can see what this means, what this means for us, what this means for our community, what this means for our family. When we're being called on to ask and trust God, uh, we're asking, is this from God? And then we're asking, what does this mean? What does this mean? Uh, and the third question is this, when we are at that place where God is asking us to trust him, we're asking the question, how can this be? How is this, how is this even possible? How can this be? Nicodemus asked. We've been baptized in water. Uh, Jesus is baptizing in the Spirit. It's a new day. How can we trust God? Remember years ago, uh, many years ago, we, Becky and I, were at, um, at the place where we were considering uh, adoption and international adoption. And as we looked into that, um, and looked into the expenses of international adoption, you know, the travel, the, I mean, everything, the whole thing. You know, we were, we were, we were in our uh, mid-30s. Uh, we did not have very much money. Um, and, and I had uh, just enough money from the sale of our house uh, to, to, to purchase another home. I was in my mid-30s, and uh, it taken me that long to have a minimal down payment for a house. You know, and and that was the money that we had, and and as I was praying about adoption, really sensing that God was asking me to trust Him, um, to trust Him and move forward with international adoption, and and I knew the expenses related to that. My prayer was, how can this be? How can this be? God, you know, you know me. You, you know my bank account, you know, you, you, you know the numbers, you know, you can count as well as I can. You know, how can this be? How can this kind of thing happen? How can I do such a thing? Now, if you know our story, you know we move forward with, with uh, adoption uh, once and twice. And uh, I can say that my testimony is that all of those expenses of the adoption over the years were completely met by, by God, be completely met by Him. You know, our prayers, when, 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 when we, and our questions, when we are called upon to be asked to be trusting God, are like Nicodemus's. Is this from you, God? Uh, what do you mean by this? And how can this be? Like Nicodemus, we must ask ourselves the question, can I trust God with my expectations? I came into this with expectations. God, you are much bigger than my expectations. You are a lot different than my expectations. Can I trust you even with our, my expectations? Trust, as I said at the beginning, is a very, very big thing with God. You read through the Bible cover to cover. You see it over and over and over again. God is regularly, consistently, asking us to trust him, to trust him. It's so, it's there so much and so often 
that you could say that if we're ever feeling stuck in our walk with Christ, if we're ever asking ourselves, I'm so frustrated, we should be asking ourselves the question as well, am I being challenged right now to trust God with something and I'm resisting and I'm resisting? If you think that God is asking you to trust him, remember you are in a good place. If you're convinced you know that God is asking you to trust him with something, then you should also know that you are in a good place. Opportunities to trust your Father in heaven are going to come to you again and again and again because it's His opportunity and His gift to you to know Him even as you are known by Him and to know yourself. We often say, make me an offer and I'll decide whether or not I want to trust you. But God is asking us to trust Him and then receive His promise. God is moving by his spirit. God is still moving by his spirit. In a few moments, we're gonna come to the table of the Lord. We're gonna come to celebrate communion together. And it is a reminder to us of Jesus, who himself trusted his Father all the way to the cross. Put himself on the cross, trusting that his Father would meet him in that tomb on the third day, and he would be raised from the dead. And it's that day that we are celebrating, even all these years later, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed.